So this is week three in Hebrews, and if you've been here or been following along, the first chapter doesn't have a whole lot of application. The whole chapter is really basically saying, hey, Jesus is better. Don't forget, Jesus is better. And it talks about how all the ways he's better, and a whole lot of time last week spent on how he's better than angels. And sometimes that's kind of difficult because you, as a preacher, as a pastor, you're like, I, I want to tell my people some truth and then show them what they're going to do with that. And when there's not a lot of application built in the text, you come up with stuff like Kai did last week. It's like, hey, don't worship angels, right? So hope that helped you. hope that was really like you resisted all the temptation last week that you had to worship the angels and you just focused on Jesus. But finally, in chapter 2, it gives us some application, but it's a warning. And warnings aren't always fun. And I, I don't know if you know this about Hebrews, but Hebrews has these warning passages sprinkled throughout. There's really five main warning passages that are, that are thrown in there as, as he's writing about Jesus being better. And then he's wanting to warn us and give us like this caution. And it's, it's designed to kind of grab our attention a little bit. And before you like, oh, no, I don't, I don't like warnings. Just, just think about the fact that warnings are part of our life. They're all around us all the time. In, in the culture of society where somebody's going to sue somebody over everything, you can't even hardly buy a cup of coffee without a warning. Hey, the contents in here might be hot. Be careful. I'm like, oh, really? I bought coffee and it might be hot? Like, warnings are around us all the time. They're part of our lives. You see warnings. You see a poison sticker or a poison sign on something, and you know, okay, so I'm not supposed to eat the Tide Pods. Like, that's what warnings are there for because they're, they're helping us, they're steering us in the right direction. So if you're driving down the road and you see the big red sign that says, wrong way, what I do is I stop and I think, well, how do they know where I'm going? What, what they're really saying is, this is not the way that you're supposed to be traveling. Like, this is a one way and it's the wrong way or whatever, and you pay attention to that and it keeps you safe, right? Or if you see this sign, the famous deer crossing sign, which makes me always think, how do they... How do the deer know that that's where they're supposed to cross? Like, how, do, we, do we think the deer are reading the signs and then they're lining up there? Like, that's weird. But what it's telling us, the deer might be crossing here, so be on the lookout. If you hit one, it's going to delay you because you've got to then clean it and you know, cut it up and take it home and put it in the freezer. So, is that just me? So, uh, warnings are part of our lives. But the problem is sometimes the warnings, we start to ignore them because we think that the warnings are actually not even useful to us. That they're useless to us. Um, so... This next sign seems like one of those where it might be useless. Next sign. <laughs> sign not in use. Like, why, is that e why does that even exist? Why did somebody make that sign? They, they made that sign. Sign not in use. That doesn't even make, make any sense. So we, we start to ignore them because, oh, this is not going to help me at all. Or then even worse, the warnings get confusing, right? Like if there's a, a confusing sign, then we don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with this information right here. Is this for me to look out for that? Because I kind of want to pay a ticket to see that, pay, buy a ticket to see that. Or is that for the bike guy? Like this is what would happen if you go down this path. I don't know, but that's confusing, and so I don't know what to do with that warning. And this next one is also very confusing to me. I don't know if you can see this. Here's what it says. This road crosses U.S. Air Force bombing range for the next 12 miles. Objects may fall from the aircraft. That sign should say, this road is closed. That's what it should say. But it's giving you a warning. Watch out, bombs are falling from the airplanes. That, that's just, that's confusing, and it's also a little bit scary, and sometimes that's where we go with this. Warnings can be confusing and lead to a, a, a good amount of fear. Look, look at this next one. 
it's so specific. So it must have happened before, and they felt like we need to make a sign to keep people from in wheelchairs from getting eaten by the alligators. Like that's so weird and so confusing and so okay, and a little bit scary. But I, this next one's a real sign from a road in Alaska. Confusing and scary. <laughs> I grew up on the Gulf Coast. We got some pretty bad and big mosquitoes down there, but. It, I don't want to go to Alaska now. Like, that's, that's ridiculous. I don't know what that means, and it's frightening. And sometimes when you see the warnings in the Scripture and you see the warnings in Hebrews, that, that, that can be our approach. This is a little bit confusing, and it's a little bit scary. But we need to lean in because these, these warnings are there to help us. You know that, right? We all know that the warnings in our Scripture are not designed for any other reason than to help us to encourage us in the right way by helping us avoid the wrong way. No, one, no one's writing any of the Bible, Bar- Barnabas or whoever it was, and didn't write this just to scare us. It's, it's for our encouragement. In fact, most of the warnings are followed by encouragement or exhortation. Hey, don't do this. Be careful. Watch out. Instead, do this. Or even in Hebrews, sometimes you'll see, hey, you got to really... Check yourself, don't do this, make sure you're not doing this. And then right behind that, it'll say, but you know what? I know you have faith, I know you're following, I know you're not going to do this. Encouragement and exhortation are usually on the other side if you'll lean in and, and, and allow the text to do what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to help us avoid some things, help, help us stay on the right path. We, we don't want to fall into the, the, the wrong path or on the wrong path. When we fall into the ditch in any way, we want to, that's what the warnings are there for. And so this passage, as he's been talking about how much Jesus is better than everything else, he's going to turn and he's going to say, hey, let me give you a warning here. And he's going to follow it with some encouragement and exhortation. The warning's really, it's really one warning, but I think it helps, it helps me to break it into two parts to really understand the, the gravity of it. And here's the first part. The first part of this warning is to be careful not to drift away from the truth. Be careful not to drift away from the truth. Look at verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And so there's this idea that the Bible teaches us that we're, we have a tendency to drift away from the truth. We have a tendency to wander away. There's even songs about it, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I, I'm, I'm, I have this tendency, this temptation. There's always this temptation that I might, I might drift away from that and find something better and go after something different. And in fact, the problem is that we sometimes think the Christian life is a race. It's a marathon, and I'm running, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing the things. I'm pursuing Christ. I'm, 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 I'm meeting with his people. I'm attending faithfully. I'm doing all the events, all the things. And then we get tired or we get distracted, or maybe even something bad happens, and we decide, you know, I, I need to, in this season, I kind of need to take a break. I'm going to sit on the sidelines. And we think, I'll just sit down here, and I'll rest for a little while. And then when I'm ready, I'll get back in. And we think we're going to get back in right where we left off. But that's not how this works. When we stop, we start drifting. It's like when we stop running the race and we sit down, we don't sit down on this solid pavement. We sit down into a lazy river, pun intended. Like all of a sudden, we find that we're just drifting in the wrong direction away. And this, there's a warning here. Don't, don't let yourself drift. Be careful that you're not drifting. It's um, this idea that, man, I, I'm, just, I'm either going to be pursuing him or I'm just going to hold steady where I am. That's not really a biblical idea. It's, it's I'm either pursuing him or I'm falling away from him. 
And we may think that, we may think practically like, okay, yeah, if I stop for a second, I'll be fine, and then I'll get right back in. I'm just going to take a break because it's busy, things are crowding in, i got a lot of responsibilities, and we'll just jump right back into it. But we know, even though we think that way, we know that that's not how it works. Because we've all taken some time out, we've all stopped, we've all paused, we've all not pursued, and what we find is when we try to get back in, we've lost ground. We've drifted away. We've got some catching up to do. And so that's what he's, he's warning us about here. Um, Stormy O'Marson has written a book. It's called Power of a Praying Woman. Just so you know, I haven't read this book. All right, I'm not even going to read this book. I'm, I'm not even, the title doesn't call me in any way to read this book. But it's an amazing, amazing quote. And I want you to hear it. There is no neutral position in the Lord. You're either becoming more like Christ every day or you're becoming less like him. That's because whether you realize it or not, you're never standing still. So you're either pursuing him or you're drifting away from him. And that's why he's warning us, hey, be careful. Pay attention because if you don't, you're going to drift. And so that's the first part of this warning. The second part, it's, it's really kind of showing you how you get to the drifting place, and it's this. Make sure you don't neglect such a great salvation. If we neglect the gospel message, if we neglect the truth, then we'll, we'll find ourselves drifting away from it. And neglecting is when you, you stop giving attention to it. You stop focusing on something. You stop giving it your time and making it your priority, and you turn your attention somewhere else. And that's really, that's really the truth for us. It's not just that we stop doing this, but it's that we replace the pursuit of Christ and the, the focus on the gospel with pursuing something else. And it leads to neglecting the thing that's most valuable. What does the writer of Hebrews said? Jesus is better. He's the only one worth pursuing. Keep remembering that truth so you don't neglect it, so you don't turn away from it. But the problem for us is that we're always tended, tempted to give our time and our attention to something else. It's just, it's just a natural flow of how this works. It's always in front of us that other things besides Christ become more valuable to us. We assign them that value. I, I need this more than I need anything else. If I have this, then I'll really have what I'm looking for. And so this thing that's become so valuable that it replaces the value that only Christ should have in our life. And so it becomes a neglect. I'm neglecting how I should value the gospel and Jesus because I've begun to value something else. Or our pursuit um, other pursuits begin to take up our, our time. And they can be really, really good things. And it's not bad to pursue other things. It's not like the only thing we can do is read our Bible and, and go to church. Like, that's not what we're talking about. But it's when we pursue these things to the neglect of pursuing Christ. I'm pursuing these things with my time, and so it's crowded out my time with God's people or my time in God's word or my time uh, in community. It's all those things. When, and stuff does that to us all the time. In our culture, our society, there's always things that are calling and begging for our time and attention, and we begin to pursue them, and we begin to neglect these things. And he's warning us about that. Sometimes it's not that we're valuing something. I'm choosing to value something or I'm choosing to pursue something ahead of time. Sometimes it's just something that distracts us. And we got distractions everywhere in our culture. And when you wake up first thing in the morning, what do you do? You reach for your phone. It's by our bed. And this phone is a great tool and it, it helps in so many ways. Technology is a great thing. It's, it's not an evil thing. But man, this can be a distraction. If you reach for this first in the morning, 
which is what I do most of the time, it immediately leads you down other paths, doesn't it? Like you, you look at it like, oh, there's a notification. Even if you had them silenced all night, they're waiting for you in the morning. And I got I to, gotta, man, I got to follow up with that email. I got to respond to that text. Oh, this is on the calendar. I got to get ready for that. All these things. And this easily becomes a distraction. If you pick up this before you pick up your Bible, sometimes this will lead you away from ever coming back to this. And it's, it's not like this is bad. It just became a distraction that caused me to neglect what is most valuable. What is the greatest thing? So Bible before phone. I have a friend who leads a church and says that to his people all the time. Bible before phone, Bible before phone. Because if I don't do this first, this will distract me. It may be a notification that comes through that I have to answer. It may just be, hey, there's a funny video. i got to share it with eight people. But this can be a distraction so, so quickly. And that's what neglect looks like. It's like I'm, I know that Jesus is better, and I should give him the first of my time and my attention the priority, but I keep pursuing or valuing or getting distracted by something else, and it leads me to neglect this. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Verse 2, he says, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. So what he's saying is the Old Testament mediated to us by angels speaking to people, when people violated the laws of the Old Testament, there was consequences that came from that. And if the message that came from angels was so reliable that when somebody violated it, God gave consequences, and this message that we have from Jesus is so much better than the message from angels, then shouldn't we expect that there will be consequences if we don't pay attention to it? And so what he says next is, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And this is a part of the warning that has a little fear to it. It's designed to make you sit up straight and like, wait, what did he say? Because he's not asking a question like, hey, y'all, come up, let's brainstorm. What's, what's the path? How can we escape? If we neglect it, how can we get out of it? No, he's saying there is no escape if you neglect the salvation. And he's, he's writing to Christians, you got to remember the setting. He's writing to Christians professing faith in Christ who, because it's hard and because of temptation and trials and persecution, they're being tempted to abandon their faith in Christ and go back to their former life, former worship and Judaism. And he's saying, Jesus is better, so don't neglect the greatness of the salvation because if you do, there's no escape for you. And so it's it's a, it's, it's a word and a warning to people who are professing Christ who are being tempted to walk away from that, but it's a warning to anybody, if the, anybody in the world. If you neglect the salvation that God has provided in Jesus, there is no escape. And what the Bible teaches, and we'll get into this in more detail as we go through Hebrews, is that if someone who professes faith in Christ then walks away or drifts away from that and they continue to drift, they continue to neglect, and they never turn back, the Bible says that person was never really a follower. And so it's designed to be a warning. Hey, make sure you're not drifting. And if you're drifting and you heed the warning and you say, yo, this is not where I'm supposed to be. This is not where I'm supposed to be giving my time and attention. I need to give my priority of time and attention back to him. I need to focus on him. And we turn back to him. Then that's a sign, that's evidence, that's encouragement for us that we are a follower. Because we heeded the warning. But it's designed to, it's designed to scare you a little bit. 
designed to make you, make, make you check and examine yourself. Wait, am I, am I really in this thing? Am I drifting? Do I need to turn around? Because there's no escape if I continue to drift. There's just, if I continue to neglect this, there's no escape. And it's, it's okay for that to be a little bit afraid. Like if you go to the doctor and you got some kind of issue and the doctor says, we need to take care of that, and you say, no, it's fine. I mean, I've been dealing with it. It's no big deal. No, 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 I, I really think you need to take care of that. We, we, need to, we need to set up a date and do surgery or something. You're like, no, I mean, it's no big deal. I've been, I've been living like this for like a year. It's no big deal. And you just continue to ignore. Then that doctor's eventually going to put some fear in the, in the conversation. You know what? I've been to the emergency room. A lot of times the people just like you who ignored it for time. And that emergency room, that's not the place you want to be because it gets really, really complicated then. And you're like, oh, I, I think I'll pay attention. Like sometimes doctors will do that. Hey, if you don't cut your cholesterol, if you don't do this, like this is what's going to happen. And they paint this picture that's designed to cause us to be wide awake and go, oh, yeah, I don't want want to do that. And that's what he's doing here. He's warning us, hey, don't, don't drift. Don't neglect. If you neglect this and you give your time and attention, the priority of your time and attention to something else, you'll find that you're drifting away from it. And there's no escape for that. So heed the warning, but, but just know it doesn't end there. On the other side, he gives us encouragement. He gives us some exhortation. What do we do with the warning? How do we respond to that warning? And, and because we broke the warning down into two different parts, I want to break the encouragement down into two parts as well. First, pay much closer attention to the message of the gospel. Pay much closer attention to the message of the gospel. In verse 1, he says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. What we have heard refers to the gospel. It refers to the message of the gospel, salvation that came through Jesus. What he did for us, that's the message of the gospel. That's the focus. That's where we're going to give our time and attention. There's this idea out there that you get the gospel and that's what saves you or that brings you back into right relationship with God. And then you move on from the gospel to learn about other things. If you really want to get serious, you go to the next level of the classes, Gospels 101, and then you go to you know, Evangelism 202 or Missions 303 or whatever, and you move on from there. No, the Bible teaches us that we always continually go deeper and deeper in our understanding of the gospel, and that's what fuels all of our life. That's what informs everything. We don't ever move past the gospel. We just go deeper and deeper in our understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and how that plays out in every single aspect of our lives. So here's the challenge. Here's the encouragement. Pay much closer attention to this gospel message. Now, when you hear that, you should be asking, well, why would I do that? And one of the things Hebrews is telling us is because Jesus is better. But underneath that point, he's telling us over and over again, and this message is trustworthy. Jesus, and we heard this last week when Kai was talking about Jesus being better than the angels. The angels were messengers, and they brought messages Two people from God, and Jesus is the greatest message. He brought the ultimate message. Long ago, God spoke through the prophets many ways, many times, but in these last days, he's spoken this ultimate word through his son. Jesus is the ultimate message. And it's a clear message, and it's trustworthy. You can bank on it. You can rely on it. There's no message like it. And he actually makes that point because he points us back to the message of angels, but then he keeps going in verse 3. After he says, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Look in verse 3. It says, it was declared at first by the Lord. The message came from Jesus, the ultimate message. And he says, it was attested to us by those who heard. Jesus shared it with the apostles. 
They shared it with people. They wrote it down. That's why we have the New Testament. It was attested. It was confirmed by the apostles. Eyewitnesses are huge as far as stacking the evidence for the trustworthiness and the reliability of the Scripture. Eyewitnesses are huge, and there's hundreds of them. And it was attested to us by those who heard. And then it says, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles... That while Jesus was here, he was performing miracles and signs and wonders and all these things. So that God was doing that to point to Jesus and say, this is my son. This is the Messiah. Pay attention to him. Listen to what he said. All these miracles were designed for that. We don't see the same kind of miracles and signs and wonders anymore because Jesus is not here. But here's what he says at the end. That God was also by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. That that's how he shows himself now. That if you're a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and that's a confirmation for you of your faith, but it's also a testimony of the trustworthiness of the gospel to everybody else. Think about that for a second. You show up here really, really early on a Sunday, and you see our setup team serving faithfully, setting up chairs, setting up all the things that have to be done, the stage, all the stuff. You see the, peop- the setup team over in the children's area setting up all that stuff. You see teachers preparing to study. You, you, that's an evidence. That's a picture. That should be a reminder that this message of the gospel is true. It's reliable because it's impacting lives right around you all the time. You show up to drop your children off in our children's ministry over there, and there's someone there who has signed up and volunteered to welcome you and greet you with a smile and bring your kid in. I'm going to teach them some Bible stories. I'm going to do a craft with them. I'm going to keep them clean and well-fed. That's an evidence for us that this gospel's true, that it really works, that it's really trustworthy because it's playing out in our lives. When you show up and you're trying to navigate the craziness of this parking lot, And you have teenagers standing out there, and they're directing you, and sometimes they're even smiling at you. You know God's message is true. It's reliable. So when we're serving, when we're using our gifts, when we're being obedient and faithful, we're giving a testimony. We're we're proving that this message of the gospel is clear and trustworthy to others. That's That's a wonderful thing. When we gather together and we sing these songs and we look around and we see other people singing the songs, it should be a testimony to us. This is the gospel. This is the greatest message. This is why I'm here, because we believe this. And I need that reminder all the time. You and I need that reminder all the time, because what do we do? We tend to drift. We gather here on Sunday, we sing the songs, and we sit under the teaching, and we take the notes and all the things. And then on Tuesday afternoon, we find that we stopped doing those things and we drifted. It's so easy to drift. So we need the reminder over and over and over again, or we will drift. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He's, he's talking several years ago to another crowd, but it seems like he's talking to us today. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in your mind. It must be fed. Think about that for a second. Got to be reminded all the time. It's not going to just stay there. It'll leak out. So you have to feed it over and over again. Daily reminders. Weekly reminders. Rhythm of life reminders. And as a matter of fact, if you examined 100 people who had lost their faith in Christianity... I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by an honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? Man, it's so true. 
people that have walked away from this, it's not because somebody gave them an argument that finally convinced them they were wrong. It's because they stopped doing the things and they drifted. They stopped attending, they stopped reading, they stopped praying, they stopped studying, and they found that they drifted way, way off course. They didn't even feel worth it to come back anymore. And so we have to have that reminder. We have to have that constant reminder. You and I, I need that reminder all the time or I will drift because when I don't have the reminder and I'm not focusing, I'm neglecting it, I'm drifting away. So I got to pay much closer attention to the message of the gospel. And the second part of this encouragement is this. We have to give much more attention to the greatness of the gospel. We have to give much more attention, which means more than anything else. We, we can give attention to other things. That's fine. But we got to give more attention to the greatness of the salvation that we have, to the greatness of the gospel message. The more attention we give to it, the more we'll be um, not tempted to drift. The more attention I give to the greatness of what God has done, the more I will see that. See, here's the deal. We will neglect things for really two reasons. One is um, we'll, we'll neglect things sometimes because it's not actually great. I thought it was great, tried it out, not that great, so I'm going to move on. That's not us. It's not, that's not what we've experienced in Jesus and the gospel. So the other side of that is we, we sometimes neglect things because we don't actually know that it's great. I, I, I missed it. I didn't, I didn't really know that that was so great that it was worthy of my time and attention, so we neglect it. That's not us either. We know that this is great. We know that this is trustworthy and reliable. We have evidence around us all the time. We have the Holy Spirit pulling us closer to him all the time. We know the gospel message is great, so let's don't neglect it. Let's give it our time and let's give it our attention. Let's make gathering together, which is one of the ways I'm reminded of the truth of the gospel, let's make that a priority on my calendar. It's, it's, that's, a, that's on the calendar. It's not a question. On my daily schedule, time with God has to become a priority for me. I'm not going to neglect this by letting myself get distracted or pulled in all these different directions. How we're, how we're leading our lives and following Jesus will show up in, in the moments of our day and in the weeks and in the months. It'll show up in how we parent our kids. As, as we're parenting, as we're teaching, as we're trying to train them, all the things that we're trying to do for them, they're going to catch some of that. I hope they catch a lot of it. But chances are when they go off to college, they'll do, in that season of college, they'll do less than they're doing now. They'll do less than they see you do. So give them a really high bar. Put it way up there. This, is, this time and this attention to the gospel, to our salvation, to what Jesus has done for us, that supersedes everything else. It's going to come first. All the other things, we'll fit them in under that. And, and watch what God does with that. Watch what God does with that faithfulness. Let's don't neglect. Let's give much more attention instead to the greatness of Jesus and the greatness of the gospel. Let's give him the priority. <laughs> now, it sounds like that's a lot that we need to do. And, and there's, that's just naturally part of this text. So don't drift. Don't neglect. Instead, do the things. Don't skip. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Pray. All the things. That's all true. But what the writer of Hebrews is really telling us over and over again is look at how great Jesus is. Focus on who he is. Fall in love with him because of who he is and what he's done for you. And then you, you'll pursue him. 
You'll value him. You'll treasure him. You won't neglect him if you really focus on the right thing. So give more time and attention to Jesus, to who he is, the relationship, the greatness of it, the fact that he wants to be your friend. Like give more time and attention to that. Fall in love with Jesus. That's what our hope is for walking through Hebrews is that we'll see how great Jesus is and we'll all fall in love with him more and it'll show up in all the other ways. We'll be serving and, and, and following and, and, and attending and studying and all the things if we're just falling in love with Jesus. So everything that he's saying here is just a reminder. Don't neglect this great salvation because, man, it's really, really great. And the way you do that is you remember the greatness of the gospel. You remember Jesus is unbelievable. And, and you start by remembering your condition, your hopeless condition. We were cut off and hopeless, desperately bound for destruction until God decided to send Jesus. He loved us so much, he sent Jesus to take our place, to rescue us, to pull us out of that pit, to make us have a right standing with God, be brought back into the family, adopted as one of his children, back forever as his children. We didn't have any chance of that, but God did that for us. And so remember, remember your condition beforehand. Remember God's love pursues you. Remember the greatness of Jesus taking your place. Remember this love that God has for you over and over again. And remember that he's better. Because of all that story, because of that gospel, because of that salvation that he's brought to you, he's better. And so he's worthy of all your time and all of your attention and all your pursuit and all your value. And that's, that's our hope, that we would continually pursue him. I think that's the writer of Hebrews as he's writing that. I think that's his hope for the people is that they would remember Jesus is better and they would not even be tempted anymore to neglect us or walk away or drift from it. And that would be my hope as we walk through this together, that we would see the greatness of Jesus and we'd fall deeply in love with him, more, more in love with him now than you, you were a year ago, more in love with him in a few months than we were right now. And it would show up in every area of our life as we follow him. Heed the warning. Embrace the encouragement, and let's make sure we remember that he's better. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this truth that is in your word, all of it. It says that all scripture is breathed out by you. It's your word spoken to us, and it's all profitable for our teaching, even for our correction for our training in righteousness, even our rebukes sometimes. So help us with all of that. Help us to embrace all of that. Help us to heed the warnings. Help us to embrace that encouragement, that exhortation, and help us to follow you with all of our hearts because we know that you're better. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.